Psalm 46. I want you to notice the very first verse says, God is our refuge and strength, the very present help in trouble. And so we have a refuge in times of storms. And there are universal storms all over the great universe that we uh, have to do with. There are national storms in our own nation. We have local storms. We have domestic and personal storms in our own lives. But the Bible teaches that we have a refuge. God is our refuge and strength. The Bible says the eternal God is thy refuge, and underneath are the everlasting arms. Have you ever heard people say, well, what do we do if everything falls apart? Well, underneath are the everlasting arms. You'll just fall into the arms of the Lord and everything will be all right. Why worry about it? We find that the Bible teaches that in Jeremiah 16, verse 19, O Lord, my strength and my fortress and my refuge in the day of affliction. And in Hebrews 6, verse 18, let me read this one for you. It says that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil, whether the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus, made in high priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. So we find that Jesus has already entered into glory, and we have his promise that we're going to be there, and we lay hold upon that hope. We have it as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and we who have fled for refuge can lay hold upon that hope that is set before us says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. We notice that he is the source of our strength as well. The Bible teaches that he is our strength. The Bible says, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. It tells us that uh, in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 10, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Now, if we're strong in the Lord, he tells us, uh, put on the whole armor of God. So to be strong in the Lord, we have to put on God's armor that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. So our enemies are great, they're spiritual, and they're in the powers and kingdom of darkness. But it says, Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that ye may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all to stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And then it says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. And Paul says, and for me, that utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly. And so we find that the whole armor of God is the source of our strength. And if we're to be strong in the Lord, we're to put on that whole armor. You know, a lot of people claim about, they worry about weakness and they worry about failure. Well, you know, we have the... We have the instruments of help for and the means of grace at our disposal. And it's up to you and I to take advantage of it. 
we talk about the devil giving people so much trouble. It says, Your adversary, the devil, is a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. And he does. But the next verse says, Whom resists steadfast in the faith. And that tells us that our brethren are partakers of this very same onslaught of Satan. That our, our, we're not the only one that's in the battle. So that ought to be some comfort, knowing you're not, not fighting it alone. And knowing that God says you can resist him steadfast in the faith. And faith cometh by what? Hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So it means that, you know, almost everything of our strength, of our uh, spirituality, of our worship, of, of our inward uh, spiritual man, depends upon the word, God, the word of God. It says, strengthened by, with all might by His Spirit, now listen, in the inner man. See, the Lord knows where we need the strength. This outward man perishes. But He says the inward man is renewed day by day. And we find that the outward man is, is flesh and blood. It tells us we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against spiritual wickedness in the heavenlies. And we find in this first verse also, look, Psalm 46, verse 1, God is our refuge, we've talked about that, and our strength, a very present help in trouble. God is our helper in time of trouble. Hebrews 13.6 says, So that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear what man shall do unto me. The Lord is my helper. If you have Him as your helper, you have the best help you can get. Reminds me of a story I heard one time about helpers. This old farmer, he hired him a guy. He had to go through gate after gate and out on the ranch and great acres of, uh, of, of land to cover and and he, so he hired him. He said, I'm getting tired of getting out of the pickup all the time and, and uh, opening every gate and then getting back in the pickup, driving through the gate, getting out of the pickup and closing the gate, getting back in the pickup and driving off. So he said, I'll just get me a helper. So he got him a helper. He hired a young man to help him. And he drove up to this gate and he sat there and the young man sat there, didn't get out. And uh, he says, uh, you know, says, son, aren't you going to go open the gate? And he says, no, you hired me as a helper. He says, you go try it. If you can't get it done, I'll come help you. That's about the kind of help we get nowadays, isn't it? So, but God is our real helper, isn't he? He's a genuine helper. And uh, then look at verse 2 and 3. It says, therefore will, will not we fear, look, we will not fear, Though the earth be removed, and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea, though the waters thereof roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with great with the swelling thereof. Selah. The word selah means pause and think about this a moment. We will not fear with what? Our confidence is in God regardless of how severe the storm and how terrible the rending of the earth and the heavens says, though the waters roar and be troubled, though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof. He says in verse 2, though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. Great confidence in God, regardless of how severe. And then we find in verse 4, God's river. God's river. Look at it. There is a river. The streams whereof shall make glad the city of God, the holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. God shall help her, and that right early. His river brings life. It brings joy, and it brings peace. It's a river. You read Ezekiel chapter 47, 
verses 1 through 12. And Ezekiel uh, sees this uh, vision, and God tells him, here's the place, and he says, the water comes out from one side and then the other, and he speaks of the water coming out. And he says, uh, Ezekiel goes, and there's water ankle deep. And then he goes, and there's water uh, knee deep. And then there's water waist deep. And then he finally says there's water to swim in. And that's the way with God's blessings. There's, there's the small ones and the medium and large, and then there's more than we can uh, really uh, uh, have. They're just abundant. The Bible speaks of God the Father as a river, God the Son as a river, and God the Spirit as a river. In uh, Jeremiah 2, verse 13, let me read this for you. Jeremiah 2, verse 13 I want you to notice what this says. If I can find it. it says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. God says he's the fountain of living waters. And hewed them out cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. Isn't that a peculiar thing that God's people would forsake the fountain of living waters himself and, and dig cisterns and broken cisterns that can hold no water? It's bad enough to just have to use a cistern or a big hole in the ground, plaster it over to catch water. But it'd be awful to have to use one that would hold no water, that was broken, wouldn't it? And that's what people try to make and manufacture for themselves. We'll say, we'll make our own source of storing our water. Well, they first have to get it anyway. And it has to come from God. Remember the cisterns out on the farm? You had the big uh, funnel that comes along in the gutter and then the downspout and catch the water off the roof and pour into the cistern. If it didn't rain, you didn't have any water. Sometimes the water uh, during the dry periods would become a little bit stale too, wouldn't it? So you don't like that. But God has a living fountain. He is a living. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. God is the source of all the waters that we need and the refreshment that we need and the supply that we need. And then the Son of God is a river. In the book of Zechariah 13, let me read this for you. Verse 1, it says, In that day shall there be a fountain open to the house of David and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. The cleansing fountain. Jesus is that fountain that will, was opened. And by the way, he is also the fountain of cleansing, not only the water of life, but he is the blood of cleansing too. It says he hath saved us and washed us from our sins from uh, with his own blood. We quoted Revelation 1.5 this morning concerning that. And then we find that the Holy Spirit is a river. In John 7 verse 38, John chapter 7 and verse 38, it says this. Well, let's read verse 37 and 38. Uh, In the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the Scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. And it says, But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given because that Jesus was not yet glorified. We sang a song that uh, we sang a song just a little bit ago concerning uh, the living water, didn't we? And the, the unceasing supply. 
and uh, so we find that the fountain of waters that we need is in not only in God the Father and God the Son, but God the Holy Spirit. And then we find something else about this river and about the city. It says, there is a river, the streams whereof shall make glad the city of God. We talk about the city of God. What about the city? God's ancient city was Jerusalem. Today it is any church that meets with his approval. Is it, it's any place where he tabernacles or dwells. Jesus said, uh, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. And a church that honors and glorifies the Lord and has Jesus as its only head, and the Holy Spirit is the only administrator, finds that his presence is there, and he is in the midst of her. The holy place of the tabernacles of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. Jesus has established the church, and the church is where he dwells. And the church where he dwells is secure. It says she shall not be moved. It's very secure. Someone worries about the church is all failing and folding up and Christianity failing and, you know, ceasing to be on the face of the earth. That'll never be because the Lord is going to... He said, upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And even the book of Revelation, he writes the letters to the seven churches. And, of course, John was writing them to the seven churches of Asia. But it's also symbolical and typical of those seven churches of the church age. And it indicates that the church will be here until the Lord comes and calls his own out and the rapture takes place. So we find that uh, it is secure and it, it will dwell in security. And, by the way, the Lord will take it out before the great hour of temptation or trouble comes upon the earth in Revelation 3 verses 9 and 10 he speaks concerning the Philadelphia church and he says I will keep thee from the hour of temptation and that means that he's going to take the church out before the great tribulation comes upon the earth I will keep thee from the hour of temptation that is to come upon all the earth we find that there's a lot of people believe that we're in the midst of the tribulation or that we're going to go through it But according to the Word of God, we're going to be taken out of it before it gets uh, into that real terrible tribulation. And it's bad enough now. If if it's magnified even twice, I don't want to be there. But think about it being magnified a a hundredfold from the terrible things that we see today upon this earth. Then you really would be disturbed, wouldn't you? It disturbs us enough to be in the presence of such... uh, things as we endure before uh, that time comes. Then I want you to notice God's voice. Well, look look at verse 5 again. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God shall help her, and that right early. He's going to do that before the problem gets any worse. Now then, verse 6. The heathen raged, the kingdoms were moved. uh, He uttered his voice, the earth melted. His voice. We saw, saw... confidence in time of trouble we saw God's river now God's voice his voice brings terror and destruction to his enemies the heathen raged the kingdoms were moved but what happened he uttered his voice and the earth melted he had power over the enemies he's going to see the things that cannot be moved and not be shaken are the things that he upholds Hebrews 12 let me read a few verses for you in the 12th of Hebrews, uh, you've heard us preach on it before, and it says this in verse 26, 
whose voice then shook the earth. But now he had promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. When God's voice is uttered again, and in judgment, when judgment comes, and things are really shaken up, uh, then, then you're going to see these things come to pass. And this word, yet once more, signifies the removing of those things that are shaken, as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. There are some things that cannot be shaken, that they may remain. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. What are those things that cannot be shaken? Our salvation cannot be shaken. Our security in Christ cannot be shaken. The, the local church cannot be shaken. Uh, the kingdom of God cannot be shaken. He says, For, wherefore we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved. So there's some things God cannot be shaken. Uh, the promises of God cannot be shaken. He says everything he's promised he will bring to pass. Aren't you glad that in the midst of things that are shakable and can be removed, that God has given us some things that are permanent? Now, verse 7, hold your place in the psalm where we're studying. Verse 7, we find... Uh, it says, The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. The word Selah means pause. It mean, it's like a pause in, in music. And there's been various interpretations given, but I think you'll come up, after you've studied everything that you can find, you'll still come up with that best one. But anyway, you, you can discuss it and you can study it, and there are various interpretations of what it really means. But uh, verse 7 says, The Lord of hosts is with us. So his presence brings confidence to his people. If he's with us, the God of Jacob is our refuge. He's with us. He's there ready to fight our battles. Remember old Elisha in uh, the book of Second Kings chapter 6. And the Syrian host was round about he and his servant. And uh, I'll pick up reading with verse 14. Therefore sent he thither horses and chariots and great hosts. And they came by night and compassed the city about. And when the servant of the man of God was risen early and gone forth, behold, and a host compassed the city, both with horses and chariots. And his servant said unto him, Alas, my master, how shall we do? What are we going to do? He said, Elisha's servant says, Alas, my master, uh, what shall, uh, how shall we do? And he answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. Well, this servant could see that the whole Syrian army, a great host of, of the enemy was round about them. And so uh, Elisha said, Fear not. In verse 17, And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray thee, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire round about Elisha. You see, there's, that God has his whole army round, around us protecting us just as he did Elisha and his servant. <clears throat> the Bible says the angels of the Lord are, are compassed round about those that fear him. We have guardian angels. Time and time again, and I know you've experienced this, things will happen. You might be driving down the road and you'll make a wrong turn or you'll do something a little foolish or not thinking about what you're doing. And lo and behold, you'll see that almost you could have been cut off with a terrible, tragic accident. But some way or another, God saved you out of it. I mean, just in an instant's time. 
And that's happened to me time and again, and I'm sure it has to many of you. And you say, well, you know, somebody, when you were not thinking, somebody was thinking a little bit for you. And he was interceding. And they were doing something to keep you from from coming to that awful, uh, tragic happening that could have happened. There's a lot of things that could have been that have not been because of our guardian angels. And because of God taking care of us when we were not able or thoughtful enough to take care of ourselves. Now, he expects us to be careful. And he expects us to use our head. And he expects us to take care of ourselves. But on the other hand, when we fail to do that, there's uh, sometimes that unseen power that takes care of us. And uh, I know you've experienced that. It says, The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Selah. Want to sit down and rest a while? It's cool inside. We just went inside. Thought, well, we go in here and sit down and rest a while. Visiting. And uh, lo and behold, what was on the screen didn't exactly suit me. I could tell it was getting worse all the time. I said, kids, let's go. Louise and I looked at each other and we grabbed Daryl and Darlene by the hand. Out we went. Going out the door and this young man, the the usher, he said, uh, he said something to us and I said, we just didn't like that kind of a movie. He says, to tell you the truth, I don't like it either. (laughs) But he was having to usher people in there and you could tell that it was against his convictions too, but it was his job. But you see, the thing about it is, uh, there's such a thing as that righteous soul that's vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. It's kind of like old Peter's downfall. Remember Peter, he said, uh, he he started uh, denying the Lord, and this woman says, Thy speech betrayeth thee. He says, You're one of them. He says, I can tell who you are by the way you talk. You're one of these people. Peter says, No, I'm not. Isn't it awful to be being accused of being a Christian? Being, being accused of being a child of God and knowing you're in the wrong place and that you don't mind it if you're in the right place. You say, I'm thankful that you recognize that I belong to the Lord. But if you're in the wrong place, that, that's a terrible thing, isn't it? That's the way Peter felt. He felt, no, no, I don't want to be identified with that group now. And he denied the Lord three times in his condition. And finally, he walked, you know, he walked afar off. You know his downfall? He walked afar off, first of all. The first thing mistake he made, he boasted self-confidence. He says, Lord, I'm ready to go with thee to prison and to death. He wasn't trusting in the Lord's strength. He said, though all men deny you, yet will not I. Jesus warned him. that before the cock crow twice, thou shalt thrice deny that thou knowest. And then, so the next thing that happened, well, old Peter, he begins to, he followed Jesus afar off. He got at a distance from the Lord, not only physically, but that far-off distance physically led to far-off spiritually, too. And then the Bible tells us that he he uh, was called to go into the garden with Jesus, you know. And lack of prayer, I think that happened first. Lack of prayer. He, he Jesus said, can you not pray with me one hour? Watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. So there's... Self-confidence, there was a lack of prayer, then following Jesus far off. And finally, it says, he saw the, the people, they had a fire built, and he sat down among them. He sat down among them. He got with the wrong crowd. That teaches you something. Stay with the, God's people. Don't get with the wrong crowd. You get with the wrong crowd, and you're going to be identified with the wrong crowd, and then you're going to be guilty because of association. Guilt by association. 
And then he not only uh, sat down with the wrong crowd and sat down among them, but he warmed himself by the enemy's fire. They had a fire kindled and he began to enjoy the comforts of their fire. And when God's people think that they can warm, warm themselves and get their comforts from the, the world and the flesh and the devil, 